0: Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan and thank you for joining us today. This is going to be our fifth week on talking about Roman Catholicism in more detail. And today's topic is going to be Holy Mary and the Saints. So, if I'm not going to directly reference from the Catholic Catechism today, but just as for transparency, the areas of the Catechism that I used for this study are paragraphs 411, 963 through 975, 2,677, those ones are for Mary, and then for the saints, it would be paragraphs 954 through 962. I also am going to briefly touch on relics, which will be paragraph 1,674 in the Catholic Catechism. So why is it important that we talk about Mary? The importance of talking about Mary is that the Mary of the Bible is unrecognizable when compared to the Catholic Mary. So we're going to explore the Catholic doctrine of what they believe to be attributes of Mary. You won't find any of these titles or statements in the Bible at all. These have been forcibly added to her and therefore they have forcibly transcended her into a higher being, something beyond human, which should already be raising red flags. So the first thing that she's called was the ever virgin, a perpetual virginity. The first signs of Mary worship was through the 2nd century writer, Origen, who made claims in his works that the brothers of Jesus were from a previous marriage That Joseph had before Mary because she was an ever-virgin after Jesus. There's problems with that because that claims that she was always a virgin for her entire life, but the Bible clearly says that he did have brothers and sisters, and he was the firstborn among them. She's also called the New Eve. This was first mentioned by Bishop Irenaeus in the second century who stated that the old Adam was redeemed through the new Adam, which is biblical, right? The old Adam, which is the first man to be created, was redeemed through the new Adam, which is Christ. Because through old Adam, we received our curse of death, right? But now through Christ, we have eternal life, and all things will be made new through him. However, he also added that in the same way, the Old Eve is redeemed through the New Eve, which is Mary, and that's not mentioned in the Bible. She's also called the Mother of God. In the 4th century, they there was an effort to reinforce Jesus as being both fully man and fully God, and instead of just going with the biblical facts they decided to stretch Mary further than being a normal human being, suggesting that she was created differently in some way in order to be able to bear the Son of God. Which, if we understand the Bible context, that is not necessary, because, for one, that puts limitations on God, right? God can do whatever he likes, as he pleases. And Jesus, even though he was fully God, he was also fully man. And so, a normal man is born through a sinful woman. So, by saying that because he was born to a human woman, first of all, he pre-existed before that, right? But secondly, is, it's as if saying his deity would be stained and be imperfect upon contact with humanity, which, if we believe that his perfection cannot be tainted by sin and by evil then that, that solves it right there. So no, she is not the mother of God. She's also called the mother of the church. In the Second Vatican Council, or Vatican II, the Pope exalted Mary to the title of the mother of the church, stating that she is acting from heaven as a maternal figure for all Christians. Hmm. She's also called the Immaculate Virgin. Catholics believe that Mary was born sinless in order, again, to give birth to God. And she gained eternal virginity through the Holy Spirit. She did not see death and was taken straight to heaven. Imagine what happened with Elijah. You know, he went up in the chariot of fire. Think about Enoch, how he walked with God, and then he was not because God took him. They teach in the Catholic Church that in the same way, Mary was assumed to heaven without having to die, and she was exalted by God to be the queen over all things. My Bible doesn't say anything about that. She's also called the Mediatrix. This is a female variation of the Mediator, which you'll see here in a second. So the church uses something called the concept of imputation. And what this means is that because Mary was pregnant with Christ and she gave birth to him, his divine characteristics were passed to her as well. So if Christ is the mediator, right, which is what it says in the Bible, that there is one man who is mediator between us and God, and that's Jesus Christ. Mary is the Mediatrix, and she works alongside Christ to intervene in the affairs of man. My Bible doesn't say anything about that. She's also called the All-Holy One, as we talked about before. Catholics pray to Mary so that she can pray for them, speaking on our behalf to her Son, because Christ cannot refuse his mother. Catholics are also called to cast all of their cares and burdens upon her, even though it says in the book of Peter that we should cast all of our burdens upon Christ because he cares about us. And then lastly, she's also called the Lady of blank. In my case, I'm going to talk about the Lady of Guadalupe, which was one of the first... Sightings, quote unquote, of an apparition of Mary. There's several of these throughout the world, but the one I'm going to focus on is Our Lady of Guadalupe, which I'm on the border of Mexico, so this one is the closest geographically to me as well. Over the last 500 years, there have been many sightings, quote unquote, of the apparition of Mary, appearing to special individuals and sometimes providing revelations of prophecy. The oldest Vatican approved sighting was in 1531 when there was an Aztec convert who claimed to have seen Mary and spoke with her. Apparently Mary asked him to build a church at the location where they talked and this is where you will go to Mexico City today and you will find the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe because that's what the one that he had built In her honor. My Bible doesn't say anything about an apparition of Mary or anything like that, but apparently people are claiming that they have seen Mary in some physical way, and the Vatican has approved those as being legitimate. Now, what does the Bible have to say about any of this? So let's look at a couple of scriptures just briefly here. Jeremiah, chapter 7, verses 16 through 19. Therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough, to make cakes. For the queen of heaven, and they pour out drink offerings to other gods, that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. And it happened as he spoke these things, that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But he said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It's almost as if God is trying to tell us that worshiping Mary has happened before in a different form. They were making cakes for the Queen of Heaven. And yet the Catholic Church has ascended Mary to be called the Queen of Heaven. Remember, there are no coincidences with God. So this is something important that we have to make note of. We'll come back to Mary here in a bit, but let's go ahead and go over to saints. So the word saint, what does that mean? Now, the word saint in the Bible is defined as someone who is consecrated to God. Someone sacred or holy. The Bible teaches that saints are on earth. We, as believers of Jesus Christ, are saints. However, Catholic theology teaches that saints are in heaven. Special saints fall under specific criteria, and they are canonized by the church or the pope or some sort of prominent bishop for the things that they did while they were on earth, exalting them for their works. Catholics are taught that these saints are attributed a specific role or task to guide Christians through life, and these become what we call patron saints, and they are to be prayed to or revered in order to acquire a specific blessing. For example, one could pray to St. Anthony of Padua to find something you lost, or you could pray to St. Francis of Assisi for a blessing on your pet. Or you can pray to St. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus Christ, to bless your construction project. Now, if you're not a Catholic, and this sounds like I'm being ridiculous, no, this is exactly what the Catholics believe. So how do you become a patron saint? The qualifications for becoming a, a saint of the church have changed numerous times over the centuries. According to Pope Francis, the current pope of my time, His criteria to become a saint is this. The person must show Christian virtues, at least to an ordinary extent, before and after offering their life. I'm not sure how they can show it after their life, but we'll get to that. They must have a reputation for holiness, at least after their death, and they must have performed a miracle. In addition to the canonization of saints, there's also the canonization of Objects related to saints and sometimes body parts associated with special people in the Bible. We call those relics. These things are typically associated with Jesus, the apostles, or certain more famous saints, and they're said to hold properties of supernatural origin. The Catholic Church calls these things relics and they are canonized as well. The origin of this seems to be based off of a false understanding of 2 Kings chapters 2 and 13. What am I talking about? If you look at it, it talks about the story of Elijah and Elisha. Before going to heaven, Elijah left his mantle with Elisha. And when Elijah went to heaven on the chariot of fire, Elisha used it to part the water in order to cross on dry land. And so this is where they get the basis of relics being useful as objects. Now for body parts, they also use Elisha as an example. Because in chapter 13 of 2 Kings, it says that after Elisha was dead and buried, somebody fell upon his bones and touched them. And upon touching them, he was brought back to life. So the Catholic Church thinks that you can canonize body parts of particular saints, and it'll have supernatural properties to it. Which, I mean, in the economy of God is completely possible, but you never see anything like it outside of that time. Now, some relics are claimed to work miracles or establish a closer connection to an associated saint, which gives you a much higher chance that your prayer to them will be answered. It is also still a common practice to have a relic in your church, which is necessary if you want to be considered a legitimate Catholic church. You must have some sort of relic that you're associated with as that church. So what are the top eight relics in the world? The top relics are the scourging pillars of Peter and Paul. So tradition states that Peter and Paul were both executed in Rome, and the pillars that they were chained to while they were getting whipped and scourged are apparently relics. There are claims that the head of John the Baptist is circulating around, and that is one relic that you can certainly pray to. Now, here's the interesting thing. There's at least four different churches that claim that their head in their church is the head of John the Baptist. So which one is it? The Chains of St. Paul is another relic. The Shroud of Turin, which is the burial shroud of Christ, the one that was on his face. And it is very interesting, though. If you ever Googled it and you see it, it's, it is very intriguing. That it's got the perpetual f- shape of a face on it. Now, whether or not it is the actual burial shroud of Christ, uh, we don't know. But there are many people that claim that it is. The Finger of St. Thomas. And this is the one that touched Christ. The foreskin of Christ's circumcision. I don't know how that would be kept for so long, but apparently some place says that they have the foreskin of Christ's circumcision. They also have Mary's holy belt, which also, as a little side note, is where you get the idea of chastity belts. They come from Mary's holy belt itself. And I I kid you not, this is a relic. It is a jar full of St. Clair's fingernail and hair clippings, and you can pray to that. Hmm. So, why are all these things unbiblical? Now, anyone can read the Bible and agree that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a real and significant historical figure. She had the honor of being the only female in history that we know of that had a virgin birth because God did it that way, and that is against the biology of man. We can read the works of the apostles as well, and the martyrs and other heroes of the Bible, and we can have a feeling of respect and admiration for what they did. However, we cannot, and I cannot stress this enough, we cannot allow admiration to turn into adoration, because adoration becomes idolatry. We cannot allow respect to turn into reverence. The Catholic Church has failed to recognize this by exalting Mary to a level of a demigod and imputing aspects of Christ's own deity onto her. Not only that, but they assign saints attributes that are solely reserved for the three persons of the Trinity. None of what we have discussed to this point is anywhere to be found in the Bible, or it is loosely based on some false interpretation of the Bible. This is a serious heresy, and it's deep idolatry, further providing evidence that Catholics do not worship the same God or the same Christ that we do. So now I say all this, where do I have my scriptural defense on these things? So, the first truth I want to proclaim today is that God has commanded all of his creation to worship him and him alone. Where do I get this from? Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Acts chapter 10, verses 25-26 As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. Peter did not want to be worshipped because he knew he was just a man. There was nothing special about him except for what God had given him. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. And I fell at his feet, and this was an angel, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of the brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Even the angels know that it's only God that's supposed to be worshipped. Here's biblical truth number two Jesus is the only mediator given to man. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 25. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Likewise, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. By as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15, For this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's no mention of Mary here. Truth number three. God alone is to be prayed to, and he alone can answer prayers. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? John chapter 16, verse 23. On that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, If you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Again, there's no mention of Mary here. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, not Mary. Truth number four, God hates fake worship and religion. And I use that word very carefully, hate, because we so overuse that word these days, but hate is a very strong word. But when I say God hates it, Am I accurate in its usage? Let's see what God has to say himself. Proverbs chapter 21, verses 3 through 4. To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, is sin. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they have removed their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. Amos, chapter 5, verses 21 through 27. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for forty years, O house of Israel? You also carried along Sikuth your king, and Kiyun your images, the stars of your gods which you made for yourselves. Therefore... I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Truth number five. Mary's conception was a miracle, but otherwise she is a normal human being. Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. That Little word there, until, is very important, which means she was not always a virgin. They had other relations, and they had other children after Jesus. Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And this is what the Catholics like to refer to often as the Magnificat, which is definitely a very important piece of Scripture. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants, forever. So you can see that Mary is an educated, godly woman, but she does not exalt herself in any way. She recognizes that she has a humble state, that she's a normal human being, and all of her prayers exalt the Lord. She never says that she's going to intervene with anybody. She gives all glory to God, and she quotes scripture from the Old Testament because she understands the character of God which made her an excellent candidate for being the mother of Jesus, as well as her physical heritage, which she was also of the line of David. If you didn't know that, look at Matthew, and you'll see the genealogy of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. But in reality, he has no genetic history, no genetic relationship with Joseph, because he was a virgin birth to Mary. But you look at Mary's genealogy in the book of Luke, and she is also from the line of David. So, however way you look at it, he is indeed of the line of David. Luke chapter 11, verses 27 through 28. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, "On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it." Now I know I had done this one already, but I wanted to reemphasize it. That she was a normal human being, and Jesus did not exalt her. Jesus did not say, "Yes, indeed, she is blessed above all women." Doesn't say anything about that. He knew that all glory goes to God, because He is God. He understood that. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So Mary was there at the day of Pentecost. And this is the last time we hear of her. And we don't see any other sign of her going straight to heaven. We don't see her being anything else other than a normal woman who received the Holy Spirit in the flaming tongues. It's the last time we see Mary in the book. Truth number six. No super-Christians exist or are granted any sort of magical powers after death. True Christians throughout history are the true saints of the Bible. Psalm chapter 30, verse 4. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, or your translation might say, saints, and give thanks to his holy name. So, saints are people who are living. It's not the people who are dead, but it is people who are living. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Jesus Christ, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Their Lord and ours. This was written to a living group of people called the Corinthians, and they are saints by the calling of God. They have this book in their Bible too, and it's very clear of what it's saying, but yet they have chosen to ignore it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses eleven and twelve. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. That's why I call this podcast Equipping the Saints, because we are living saints in being called by Christ Jesus. We're not saints when we die. We are saints right now, and we need to be equipped for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Again, these are living. These are not dead. And nor does it say anywhere that special saints get exalted and do things after death. The next truth. To pray to and bow before statues, artwork or images of saints, or Jesus, or Mary, it's all idolatry, and idolatry is an abomination to the Lord. Exodus chapter 20 verses 4 and 5. You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 through 12. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. Calling upon saints who have died is calling up the dead. Lastly, when a person goes to heaven, they do not interfere with life on earth. And I'm sorry if this hurts your feelings, but this is the absolute truth that you have to know. We tend to think that when somebody important to us passes away, we like to think that, oh, they're looking down from heaven at us. Unfortunately, they're not, and this is what the Bible says about this. So I'm sorry if this hurts your feelings, but I want to tell you the truth. Think of the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Now there is a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died, and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they also will not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses or the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Think about this also, you want to blow your mind a little bit. Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, didn't he? More or less? It's been 2,000 years since that historical event happened. How many people believe in Jesus? He rose from the dead. So why don't people believe him? They have the law and the prophets. Let them listen to them, and if they don't listen to them, they won't believe in Jesus. Isaiah chapter sixty five verses sixteen through seventeen. Because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth, and he who swears in the earth will be Will swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hidden from my sight. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. When you go to heaven, you're not thinking about your time on earth, it will be forgotten. It won't even come to your mind. Now, why is that? Because the things of this earth are troublesome, right? They're evil. And in heaven, there's no more crying. There's no more pain. And if we think about painful, sad things, doesn't that contradict itself? Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of god and because of the testimony which they had maintained and they cried out with a loud voice saying how long o lord holy and true will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth you see god is the one who's going to intervene and interfere on earth not them the saints are just are pleading with god to bring justice on their behalf. But they themselves are not going to do it. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. They are dead, and they'll be remembered no more. So I hope that I gave you a convincing argument as well as some ammunition to use from a biblical standpoint as to the falsehood in this practice. So what I suggest is if you are speaking to Catholics, ministering to Catholics, evangelizing to them, rather than argue, point them to the scriptures because they have the scriptures themselves that they can look at. And let them be convinced by Jesus Christ. Let them be convinced by God. Point them in that direction. And I challenge you to memorize scripture. This is extremely important in the ability to relay this information in a coherent manner, as well as to speak intelligently on these things. Because the last thing that you want, especially in the world of apologetics, defending the faith, is to be asked a difficult question and you're just there like, uh, I don't know. I think it says something in the Bible about that. You don't want to either say you don't know, or you don't want to give bad information. And if you don't know something, that's fine. But at least know where you can find it, or at least get back to them on it. Like, I know it's in the Bible. I just don't remember exactly where, but I'll get back to you. And that's fine as well. But what we've seen so far, the concept of Holy Mary and the saints is completely anti-biblical. And that will conclude today's topic. Next week, we will be discussing the priesthood and the pope. But until then, I'm Ryan. Thank you always for listening. I really appreciate your participation. And we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.